Welcome to the program. I'm Jeff Shackman. We all remember that great movie line uttered by Jack Nicholson is written by Aaron Sorkin in A Few Good Men. When Nicholson blurts out to Tom Cruise, you can't handle the truth. In many ways, that's exactly the way we are being treated by political and business leaders in every corner of the country. Never before in human history has so much change so rapidly been foisted upon human beings. Not during the Renaissance, the Enlightenment, or the Industrial Revolution have we gone through periods of such dramatic and powerful change. Today, technology in all of its forms, from smart machines to robotics, from AI to virtual reality, from 3D manufacturing to genetic and biomedical engineering, will make sure that the world is never the same. It's estimated by some that almost 80 million jobs could be gone in our lifetime. Certainly the psychological and political consequences of this change, as we are already seeing, could be devastating. But so will the economic impact. Just listen to today's political dialogue, and you'll see that the very capitalist system that has produced this unprecedented change is itself under siege. All of this begs the question, of course, as to whether capitalism can keep up with the very system it has helped usher in. For some, fear and resistance to change will animate every action as leaders in both business and politics take advantage of that fear. Others will seek to embrace change and excel with it. We're going to talk about that today with my guest, Edward Hess. Edward is the author of 12 previous books. His most recent was Humility is the New Smart. He's been looking at all of these issues of late and written about them in a white paper recently entitled Modernizing Capitalism, Saving the American Dream. It is my pleasure to welcome Edward Hess back to this program. Ed, thanks so much for joining us. Thank you, Jeff, and thank you for having me. It's a pleasure to have you here. When we talk about all the change that has happened so far and the dislocation, the creative destruction, the reality is, as we look out at, at what's ahead, we haven't seen anything yet. There's so much more to come. Talk about that first. Yes, there is so much more to come is an understatement, Jeff. Uh, we're looking at, as you mentioned, the possibility of, uh, in fact, the high probability of automating almost half of the jobs in the United States. And we as a country are not prepared for that. We are not prepared to retrain workers. We're not prepared to prepare new, new students for the new future as to when humans are only going to do those tasks that the machines cannot do well. We're not prepared for having a social safety net for our fellow citizens. We're not prepared, if you will, for what does that mean for the American dream. Uh, we're not prepared to hold corporations accountable and maybe go back to the, if you will, the philosophy that we had in the era of shared prosperity where corporations had a duty to workers and to communities, not just shareholders. So we're on the leading edge of this technology tsunami that over the next 10 years, is going to basically change how we fundamentally work and how we live. It's going to be the biggest challenge the United States has faced since World War II. It's a challenge about the future of work, the future of capitalism, the future of democracy, the future of the American dream, all of which are already, if you will, the American dream and capitalism, as you mentioned. We already have issues, and now what's coming is this tsunami which will overwhelm us as a society if we do not immediately begin preparing for what's coming and create 
new policies, new programs which are going to help our society adapt and adjust because we will not be able to stop technology. Technology is coming. It's a global phenomenon. We may want to try to slow it down in the United States, but that's not going to slow down China. That's not going to slow down Russia. It's coming. So we need to get prepared, and we are on a scale of 1 to 10 in preparation. We're basically point one. What do we learn when we look at other periods of dramatic change, be they the Industrial Revolution 100 years ago or the Renaissance or the Enlightenment? We've certainly, human beings have certainly survived dramatic change before. Why is this different? I believe it's different for two big reasons. Let's take the Industrial Revolution since that's the most recent, if you will, dramatic change. If you look at the history in Great Britain and research shows it took the citizens of Great Britain 60 to 80 years to adapt and overcome the human misery created by the Industrial Revolution. I ask you and any thoughtful, truth-seeking person the following question. In our divisive society today, in our society today where we have extreme income inequality and wealth inequality, etc., Do you think our society can survive decades and decades of adjustment, if you will, until misery is ameliorated? Number two, what's different this time is the technology that's going to underlie most of the change is artificial intelligence. Artificial intelligence has an art of innovation that most of the knowledgeable AI um, um, creators and researchers and engineers state that over the next 20 20 years, 25 years, AI is going to continually move and improve to where it will reach the point where all cognitive, not emotional, all cognitive thinking, if there's data, will be done better by technology than by humans. Notice I said as long as there's data. So what this means is, is that technology will likely create some new jobs as we go along and automate millions and tens of millions of jobs. But the question is, is will technology create a new job, enough new jobs that the technology itself will not be able to do as it advances? The second big thing is, is that the new jobs that technology is going to create in most cases will require skills that the people who are losing their jobs do not have. And the question is, can they learn them? And two, how they're going to learn them? And three, how they're going to pay for it? One of the other aspects of this is the degree to which we seem to be, or at least our leaders seem to be, in denial about this. So much of what you're saying is not a mystery. A lot of it is in plain sight, and some people have talked about various aspects of it, and yet overall there seems to be a denial. Talk about that. Yes, that's very frustrating. Um, I mean, I wrote an op-ed for the Washington Post in February of 2017 asking the new president, Nick, uh, President Trump, to basically create a national commission to deal with this and to study and come up with recommendations. And, you know, we, we're the only major democratic capitalist country which is not actively working and planning for what's coming, okay? We have no plan. Um, there is a beginning of some hope because over the past uh, five, six months, some Wall Street titans have spoken up in the most recent uh, is Ray Dalio, a Bridgewater Associates. He was recently on 60 Minutes, and he said the American dream is lost. Capitalism needs to be reformed. 
we have a national emergency. What we're, our form of capitalism is not sustainable, and if we don't do something and get this under control, we have serious risk of civil disorder. And in addition, other people uh, on Wall Street, Paul Tudor Jones, Jamie Dimon, Larry Fink, have also said, and Paul Tudor Jones says, we need to modernize capitalism. So we, we are having some business Wall Street titans step up to the plate and say, we need to do something. And we yet, need to get going on that. This is this is a big breakthrough, because all of these are multi multi billionaires, and they they are they they have faced the reality that our current model of capitalism is not working. It is not sustainable because in the numbers are just are just overwhelming when you look at the numbers, Jeff. Basically, the bottom fifty percent of our population has lost income share since nineteen eighty. All right. Middle class families essentially have not participated in any income growth over the last 30 to 40 years. Here's two statistics. Forty percent of adults in the United States of America cannot cover four hundred dollars of unexpected expenses. They do not have four hundred dollars to pay for something unexpected. And these are Federal Reserve Bank statistics. Sixty percent of our fellow citizens have less than one month's income in emergency savings. The richest country in the world. I'm sorry, this is idiotic. This is this is this is you know, like mind boggling and it's time that we basically step up and the, the, the challenge is is we're talking about reforming a system, not just reforming capitalism because you've got to you've got to basically raise taxes You've got to change how we educate people. You've got to change how we finance political elections. You've got to change the antitrust laws. You've got to start enforcing white-collar crime laws. You've got to basically get into early childhood education for kids. You've got to get into more trade, uh, if you will, community college education and retraining programs. This is a systemic problem, and basically – our political system is dysfunctional right now, and it's going to take basically a grassroots movement from the people, a We the People movement. Uh, I call it a We the People movement to save the American dream. It's going to have to take people like these titans that basically put their money on the table and start coming up with reactions and influencing the politics. But, of course, the reaction that we're seeing to this is is a an attack on capitalism, this this dialogue about socialism today yes. is a direct yes. response to what you're talking about. Rather That's than reforming right. capitalism, the approach seems to be, and the grassroots effort that you're talking about seems to be, throw the baby out with the bathwater. Well, and there's there's two approaches. Number number one, uh, people in, in politics and other wealthy people are basically calling the call for reform, the movement to socialism, all right? Uh, number two, you've got the opposite occurring with the young people in the country who are asking for more, we'll call it, so democratic socialist policies. And what's happening is the word socialism is being used as sort of the, if you will, the, the, the negative, and it's, so it's getting confused in two parts, all right? There's no doubt that these Wall Street titans are capitalists. There's no doubt that I'm a capitalist. I am the product of the American dream. I am very fortunate to have grown up in the era of great prosperity 
1947 to the mid-1970s, the only time in U.S. history where capitalism has worked for every income level in our society. All right. And what I'm calling for is going back to that era of shared prosperity when the American dream was realistic. I lived the American dream. Today, a person growing up in the middle class, okay, instead of having a 90% chance of earning more than his or her parents like it was when I was growing up, today only has a 50% chance. Today, a kid growing up in the United States in poverty has a very, very small, less than 3% chance of escaping poverty. And in the movement to reform capitalism, people are saying, that's socialism. We don't want socialism. Also, you've got the younger generation basically saying, we want more social democracy like in Europe, the Scandinavian countries, where basically there's more help for people that are basically not, if you will, be, that, that have not basically benefited from the last 20 to 30 years of capitalism. And so in reality, is socialism is being, is being thrown as a, as a fear type of thing, us versus them. Um, and the reality of it is, is that the people that are saying we need change, you're saying we need to move back to a country more like we were after World War II. All right, where we had shared prosperity, where we were a community, where corporations had a duty to business, to shareholders, workers, and communities, not just shareholders. And so our system has, if you will, has gone too far to an extreme, and it's got to go back quickly. Part of the problem, though, is that when we look at those efforts at shared prosperity and the success of that, particularly in the post-war period through the 70s, that's not a period that we can replicate today, that too much has changed. And what seems to be missing from the equation, what seems to be missing even from the business leaders that, that get this, and there are many of them, and you, you mentioned a few before, is some kind of vision for what that shared prosperity, some kind of narrative for what that shared prosperity yeah. looks like in the world yes. that you described at the beginning. Yes, and in what it, it, to some extent, the shared prosperity that existed, you had each income level, people basically uh, sharing in the prosperity, their incomes went up. You had workers that, that basically had real retirement plans. You had workers that, uh, that had health benefits, and what's happened in the last really 40, 40 years is is that short-term quarterly earnings have driven the rigging out, all right, of every benefit to you know that doesn't go to shareholders, that doesn't go to bottom-line profits. We've taken a very short-term view of what capitalism is, and that short-term view has hurt most. Has hurt, let's just say broadly, 90% of the public. And and really, most of the wealth over the last decades is, has been accumulated by the top 1%. Just take CEO pay. 1946 to 1970s, the average CEO's pay to worker pay was 20 to 30 to 1. Since the 19, mid-1970s, it's been, say, 196 to 380 to 1. All right, so it's been almost 10 times as much, but you haven't seen basically corporate Earnings go up commensurately. You, you know, there's, there, it makes no sense. Back in the, the era of shared prosperity, we were more about a country as a community. There was, we were all in it together. We all fought in the war or worked in the factories, and we came home. 
Now we basically have got a culture of social Darwinism, survival of the fittest. Well, survival of the fittest doesn't work, if you will, in a, when you're trying to build a community or a country where you have got, if you will, some type of unity to solve major problems. Of course. Survival, pa- of, the, survival of the fittest leads to me, us versus them, them versus up. It leads to dissension. It leads to people basically fighting amongst themselves and taking their eye off of the big problem, which is that America is no longer an exceptional world leader. America, in many cases, the data shows, is a media is is a mediocre world player, not leader. Part of the problem also is that the excesses of capitalism that have created this are really lie at, at the doorstep of so many in the business community. And there's a, a sense on the part of a lot of people that, that understand these statistics, or at least are feeling it personally, of wanting to impact some kind of retribution. Yes, there is there is that, and, and, and what really needs to happen is is we need to basically increase the tax rates on, on the wealthy people, and we need to basically, um, um, if you will, tax so that wealth is not passed, huge wealth is passed on, so we we end up down the road with a feudal, more like a feudal aristocracy. So the fact of the matter is is that the you know, and, and many wealthy people, including Warren Buffett, Bill Gates, have all said, yes, we should be paying more taxes. The problem is, is that is that the wealthy people have got to put their money where their mouth is and basically influence the politicians to raise the tax laws so that they pay more. So there's more money that can be used to fund the adaptation that we're going to need over the next 10 to 15 years we have big problems now with capitalism. We've seen nothing yet with the technology tsunami that's coming. This is, as I said, going to be the biggest challenge since World War II. We need an effort like we had in World War II. We almost need a Marshall Plan for our country. And the wealthy people in this country and the, and the leaders in higher education who've done the research have all got to basically come together and, and if you will, put money to help elect politicians that are going to vote in the right laws, also educate the public, and the public has got to basically say, this is not working. We want people in Congress who are going to basically represent the people, not just the top 1%. Of course, to get that way, the the educational process in terms of people has to be pretty dramatic, because there's always been this aspirational aspect to, to this discussion where you find people voting against their own self-interest. Yes, that's correct. And what you need, it's a huge education movement. That's why I call it, it's a grassroots movement. Um, Ray Dalio um, is going to get involved and spend some of his money on creating a national commission, a top-down viewpoint. The reason we're talking is, is that I believe we've got to have a grassroots movement, a We the People movement, and I'm calling it to save the American dream, to make hope real again in this country, to educate people in communities and community leaders. People in each community have, have got to come together. Uh, and you're seeing some communities have these conversations. They're happening in, in Dallas. The, the conversations began and or have are going on in Los Angeles. I was there in Los Angeles the 1st of April. Um, um, 
people in Austin are talking about having people in the, in the grassroots have got to go talk with their, their, their political leaders in their county and their city and say, do you realize this is coming? What are we doing about it? And most people don't really know how bad it is and what's coming. What are we going to do about it? They've got to talk to their state elected leaders. They've got to get together and say, talk to their congresspeople and their senators. And, and if you can get basically leaders, very wealthy people funding education from the top in a grassroots movement and what I'm calling it's the sandwich approach and then then I'm I'm hopeful I'm hopeful that with also with the young being involved getting involved and becoming very passionate about these issues which most of them or a lot of them already are that basically political leaders decide if they want to stay in office uh, they're going to have to basically start working for all the people, not just the people that make contributions. Of course, what it's also produced is a kind of populism that is uh, not very effective. Uh, it, it's, it's produced a populism, especially in, 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 in other parts of the world and in, in the, the, the movement potentially here. That's right. I mean, the, the, what, what we need is, is a is a movement that is inclusive, not exclusive, and a movement that is unifying, not divisive. And we need people that basically, we, we need leadership. If there was ever a time in this country, in every sphere of our life, whether it's education, business, government, um, religious, we need leadership. We need leaders to stand up, and we need leaders to stand up and help lead the way and say, look, we we've got we've got social safety net issues, healthcare issues, education issues, immigration issues, um, corporate business issues, political financing issues, labor law issues, uh, etc. Okay, we all got to get to work. There's every reason to believe that that we're not going to do this, and 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 certainly while there is talk, and you say there are you know some some green shoots in various places. In your view, what happens if we continue along the present path with our head continually in the sand? Well, history has got the answer. You can look back 2,000-plus years in history, and it tells you that the type of income and wealth inequality that exists today is not sustainable long-term. And 2,000 years of history says that um, redistribution will happen either voluntarily or involuntarily. And... Ray Dalio said on uh, on 60 Minutes, his research shows, because he studied populism in, in, in great detail, he's, he, he, using his words, he said there's a 60 to 65 percent probability that this story is not going to end happily in this country. That's what will happen. We will, we will have a very difficult, unhappy ending. Edward Hess. His latest paper is Modernizing Capitalism, Saving the American Dream. Edward, I thank you so much for spending time with us. Yep, thank you. Thank you.